Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up, unfortunate vassals of House Targaryen? This is Stephen, your host from Pathology Podcast, and I'm reviewing episode 10 of House of the Dragon on my own. This time, Josh has been stricken down with the same flesh-eating bacteria that killed King Viserys. I think that was some kind of flesh-eating bacteria. I actually don't know really what was going on with him. And uh, our, our Grand Maester Hayden is not here. So you've just got me for the season finale review, which is kind of appropriate since I reviewed the episode, I think the first episode, or gave like some kind of preview to the season on my own. So everything comes full circle as this episode does, because episode 10 starts with Renera giving birth, like episode one uh, featured her mother giving birth. Um, neither birth went well. Renera does survive, but uh, gives birth to a stillborn child. And I was actually wondering if this was going to be some kind of like malformed dragon child. I couldn't remember from what actually happens in Fire and Blood. So I was watching this, not sure what to expect there. It did seem to be like a fully formed human child, just not fully formed, but actual human. Sometimes Targaryens have been known to, uh, you know, as Daenerys did in the, in the first season of Game of Thrones, right? These kind of malformed beasts end up coming out. So uh, that didn't happen, but still a, a, a uh, fell omen for the rest of the events of the episode. So as this is all happening, the action around her is kind of starting to ramp up as Rhaenys comes in and says, you know, hey, your, uh, your father has died, Rhaenyra, and the Greens have staged a coup. So what are you guys going to do about it? And Damon immediately takes action because Damon, in my opinion, could not have been more pumped about this news. Like, yeah, maybe he feels bad that his brother dies, but Damon recently, maybe for like most of his life, seems to be a dude who just doesn't know where he fits in. And he's just looking for his next fight. He's looking for some way to justify his violent tendencies. And getting into a civil war seems like a pretty good, pretty good idea for him. Uh, I mean, not for, I don't think it's a good idea for him, but he thinks it's a good idea for him. It's a war that's totally justifiable in his mind because, hey, look, you know, these greens, Alicent and the Hightowers have seized the kingdom from us, Rhaenyra. Uh, let's go kill them. And he's maybe a little shocked that Rhaenyra doesn't just kind of jump on board. And actually, I was a little surprised as well, but more on that later. Anyway, so as Rhaenyra is um, trying to give birth, Damon is gathering, you know, starting, getting the wheels in motion. And Rhaenyra senses this. She kind of knows what's going on with her husband slash uncle. And she tells her sons to make sure that he doesn't do anything rash. Of course, Damon doesn't listen to them because that was never going to happen. Uh, but nothing nothing too bad happens. Nothing regrettable happens yet. Eventually, the tension with Damon boils over at the end 
when he starts choking Rhaenyra more on that later I thought one of the highlights of the episode was another Damon moment when he goes to lure Vermithor I think that's right Vermithor something like that uh which is the second largest and oldest dragon behind Vagar who of course Aemon has at the moment and Vermithor is currently kind of hiding out in the volcanoes there I think it's actually called Dragon Mont, so Dragon Mount, same as like in Wheel of Time. Um, anyway, so Damon goes and he's singing to Vermithor and High Valerian, and uh, Vermithor comes and is very large and imposing. And after seeing, I guess this is before we see Vagar appear and how large Vagar is, you you get the sense that uh, now the the Black really need something to combat this threat of Vagar on the green side. And so great move by Damon to try to win over the loyalty of a dragon that can actually take on Vagar. Hopefully, we'll see. Maybe second season things. Anyway, before any of that, Rhaenyra is crowned. Either Eric or Eric comes back and uh, gives her, her her father's crown, and everyone bows to, kneels to her, and proclaims her queen. Except for Rhaenys, who's just watching the action. Uh, Rhaenys was awesome throughout this episode. She was just kind of lurking and observing the whole time and knowing she was kind of above it all because of her station and uh and bloodline right so eventually Rhaenys you know kind of likes what she sees from Rhaenyra's restraint and goes and tells Corlys who has recovered I didn't like that Corlys was just kind of sidelined because he was sick I think in the actual history he was like in a fight and was severely wounded I mean I I don't necessarily care how he's sidelined, but it just seemed kind of lame to say, oh, by the way, like the plot demands that you're off for a bit because Corliss is a cool character that I frankly wanted to see more of throughout. I guess uh, Hayden reminded me in one of our previous episodes that most of the cool things that Corliss did were uh, in previous years and in the younger years of his life. So now we're just kind of having to accept that he was cool back in the day. I'm not saying he wasn't cool, in this show, but he's not nearly as active as I was hoping. Maybe we'll see more in future seasons. Anyway, Corliss joins up and joins the Black Council that's all gathered around the painted table, which was probably the most awesome thing in this episode. There were a lot of cool things in episode 10, but the painted table was probably the coolest. And I have Googled how to buy a painted table and didn't really get the results that I was hoping for. So drop me a comment if you know how I can acquire one at a reasonable cost. I also saw a, a funny meme of uh, some shots of them sitting around the painted table from Game of Thrones, but it's not lighting up. And they, the captions said something like, you know, these fools didn't know how to turn the table on because when that table turns on, uh, it was just very cool and appealing to look at. And then when all the pieces started moving around it, it became a like frantic game for me to try to keep track of, okay, which house is this? Where do they reside? And the map was going really fast. I mean, I honestly would have been fine with like a 30 second pause where it's just focused on the table and it laid out, okay, these houses are in this area, et cetera. I mean, that would have been odd for TV, but like I would have been fine with it because I just like maps and I, I really wanted to know exactly what was going on where. So anyway, uh, eventually Rhaenyra decides to send her boys off as envoys to houses Arryn and Stark. That's where Jaceris is headed. 
and uh, Luceris is going to, or Luceris, Luceris, Luceris is going to the Baratheons over in Storm's End. I don't think we've ever seen Storm's End on camera before, and it was really cool looking. It was obviously right there on the end of the storm, and uh, it really, I mean, it, it kind of gave off some nice, cool Baratheon vibes. I guess I kind of thought the Baratheons as like more in the woods, maybe just because their sigil is the stag. Pretty sure that's right. Anyway, Storm's End was cool. And uh, Luceris goes off to Storm's End. Before he does, there's a really heart-wrenching moment where uh, his mother, Venera, is you know, telling him to be safe and don't fight anyone and kind of holds his hand for a second. And she's kind of having to deal with her sons are now men in a world that's now, you know, half the people out there are probably going to try to kill them. And she's immediately sending them off into potential danger, but she kind of has to, because that's the game that they're playing here. And uh, knowing what was coming, it was, it was really tough for me to watch. Um, however, as I say that, I do wonder, you know, if this was Game of Thrones and these were Stark kids, and one of the Stark kids just got his dire wolf bitten in half and him and he was killed, you know, basically Rob Stark, right? How did you feel when Rob Stark died? Like that was a real gut punch. That was a devastating episode. The Red Wedding was tough for a lot of reasons. And I don't, I really doubt that anyone felt the same level of shock and emotional gut punch when uh, Luceris dies here at the end of this episode. So did the season, did the first season kind of do us a disservice by moving so fast to where we couldn't get attached to anyone outside of the main characters? Like the main characters, Alicent, Rhaenyra, Damon, some of the older, um, more adult advisor type people now, right? Viserys, when he died, uh, you're attached to those main ones, but none of the kids really, because we've only seen the kids on for a few episodes and we haven't really had a chance to like grow up with them and really feel a lot of emotions around them in the same way that the Stark kids, like if Jon Snow, when, when it looked like Jon Snow had died, right? That was really hard to watch. And, uh, and that was actually something that as book readers, like we weren't entirely sure if he was going to come back to life. We were like 99% sure, but we still weren't entirely sure. So that was pretty tough to see. Uh, however, Lucerus, yeah, you know, he's a cute kid and Seems like he's a lot nicer than any of the green children, but it wasn't quite as attached to him. So I don't know. I mean, it was tough, right? Because they had to, the showrunners had to get through a lot of material to set us up here. And uh, we're more attached to the remaining characters now. So maybe there, there is opportunity for those big emotional gut punches in the future, which, you know, maybe we'll see. Maybe more people will die. It is, uh, it is a Westeros story from George R. R. Martin, so that is possible. Uh, and I, I think when those types of things, which may or may not happen, happen uh, in the future, in future seasons, I think it'll deliver more weight to it. However, it wasn't here for me, and I just think that was maybe inevitable, uh, just the, the way that it was set up. Not necessarily a bad thing, but something that they had to sacrifice, I suppose. So a couple of things here from the actual battle, chase, whatever you want to call Amund and Vagar slaughtering Lucerus and Eryx. Uh, one, the size of Vagar. Vagar is immensely just way too big, right? 
um, when, when he appears above Arax, he's like 10, 15, 20 times bigger. This is a dragon that cannot be fought in any conventional means. And like I was saying before, this really kind of hammers home the idea that we need something like a Vermithor on the black side. Um, the other thing was, I was, it was interesting to me that they decided to make it seem like Amond didn't mean to kill Erex and Lucerus. And in some ways that makes sense because he, he obviously knew what he was setting off by doing this. However, in reading Fire and Blood, it really made it seem like he meant to do this purposefully because he was just out for revenge and because he was more than a little bit cruel and mad even. That's the vibe I got from reading the book. However, the book, you know, presents the fake history of the Targaryens from a few different lenses and kind of leaves it up to you to determine which account may or may not have been true. And some of the accounts are like Lucerus um, lived out the rest of his life as a fisherman whose brain was addled because he fell off into the ocean and, and survived. And there's another account that says that Aemond went down and plucked out his eyes and presented them back to his uh, Baratheon uh, lover, the I, I think his betrothed at the time, right? Um, and then there's another one that says that Vagar swallowed this Lucerus whole. So the way that Fire and Blood tells the story, you don't actually know what's true. It's up to the showrunners to decide what story they're going to tell. I think this makes a lot of rational sense, and I'm totally okay with it. However, I did imagine Aemond is a little more bloodthirsty. Another thing that surprised me a little bit from this episode was Rhaenyra's restraint at holding the realm together and not going straight into war. I actually can't remember how Fire and Blood presents this part, but I definitely did not see Rhaenyra as a someone who has much restraint. I imagine that she would just kind of go straight into the war. Um, however, I... I think the way, again, the way that they changed the show a little bit makes this decision make a lot of sense because her relationship with Alicent is a lot different than it is in the book since Alicent is younger and they were childhood friends here. And after Otto gives her the page of the book, right, this was a gesture that meant a lot to Rhaenyra. And she really didn't want to, you know, A, she didn't want to plunge the realm into war. She saw how her father had rules. She knew that Viserys would not have wanted this. And she was willing to probably sacrifice a lot to prevent this. And B, I really don't think she wanted to directly go up against Alicent in a war. I think she's just kind of still holding out that maybe somehow everything could be resolved. I don't think that she necessarily had an idea of how that might happen. But I think she really wanted to delay as long as possible and hope that maybe some kind of resolution would have appeared. However, once Lucerus is killed, I mean, you see her grief off camera a little bit. I mean, her back is turned right on camera, but you don't see her face. And then she turns around and it's, it's set in stone and you can tell, okay, like the Dance of Dragons has started. And I thought that was an awesome end to the episode. Okay, one final note for me, just on the season as a whole. So in the first, after the first episode, I said, I really hated the idea of the prophecy of a song of ice and fire playing such a big role. One, because it just wasn't quite, I mean, it didn't quite fit in there. It's a little made up. I know George R. R. Martin was kind of the one who made it up and put it into the show. So like, it's fine on one hand. The thing that just bugged me was basically a MacGuffin because we as the audience know that this is going nowhere. 
in the Game of Thrones, the show, right? Because the Song of Ice and Fire was totally butchered um, by D&D by the end of the uh, TV show. <laughs> so it's not going to go anywhere. And so it just kind of bugs me every time they bring it up. So I'm like, this is stupid. It doesn't actually mean anything. Hopefully it will in the books, but in the TV show universe, it doesn't. So I didn't like it at all. And I kind of ranted about this and I just ranted again. So uh, if you don't want to see more of that, then don't watch my episode one review. Anyway, by the end of this season, I think I was mostly fine with it. They brought it up a few times when they needed to, and it was meaningful. For example, like when Renera brought it up here, that caused Damon to kind of freak out because he realized that Viserys never actually meant for him to be heir and was really never even giving him a chance because Viserys never told him this big family secret. And he tries to cover by saying, you know, dreams are stupid. Dreams don't make us men dragons did, which was a cool line, by the way, probably one of the coolest lines in the show. And in a show that had a lot of really great dialogue, that was a great line. And I love how they're able to convey all these emotions around this point without really hammering it home. I think that's the sign of awesome TV writing where you have to kind of sit back and think and figure out, okay, here's what the characters were actually feeling. And that's why they acted in this way. And that's why Damon violently choked his wife because he was overcome with frustration and anger towards his brother for not ever considering him to be king, right? This like years and years of resentment is kind of boiling over here. So stuff like that is the reason why House of the Dragon, the writing was excellent. Everything about it was a very cool show. And I think beforehand we were a little nervous, like this is a prequel to Game of Thrones. How's it going to do? But really it smashed it out of the park and was, I mean, Rings of Power was good, but House of the Dragon was heads and shoulders better than our Rings of Power. So uh, that's my review of episode 10. I think we'll have to do a full season review somehow, although we have really uh, been pretty diligent in episode up by episode review. Maybe we'll give some time to, to sit with it. But let us know in the comments what kind of things you'd like to see us discuss around the show. I saw that there is a little docu series about the making of kind of behind the scenes type things i think it'd be fun to watch that and maybe do a review with a, a different perspective after seeing what uh, some of the cast and, and uh, writers said about the show anyway so drop us a note on anything you'd like to see but until then see you later